Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Aaron Croft, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much. It is so good to be here. It's great to have you here. This is this is uh, this one's personal for me. So this is this is going to be, I think, an interesting conversation. We talked a little bit before we we got started here, and uh, I'm really interested in your story. Um, so let me introduce you to to our listeners here. Aaron Croft appeared to have it all when he got into Harvard, but that was just the beginning of his demise. He struggled nonstop for 15 years until he was broke and divorced, earning minimum wage, failing out of his first seven jobs and businesses. But after getting a master's degree in coaching psychology and a diagnosis of inattentive ADHD, his life changed. He built a successful Fortune 500 career, consulting to companies such as Marriott, Deloitte, Johnson & Johnson, McDonald's, KPMG, United Healthcare. And he also got married and most importantly, discovered how to get things done with a neurodivergent brain. Now he's on a mission to raise awareness about inattentive ADHD, how it goes under the radar and how to rebuild your life post-diagnosis. Like I said, this this episode is personal for me. One of my children uh, is diagnosed with inattentive ADHD. So when uh, when Aaron reached out to me, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I, you know, for my son, I see it as his superpower. I see it as the things that he's accomplished in his life. Uh, certainly, 
is some of that is coming from um, the his struggles and his the the things that come along with ADHD, and I suspect from listening and, and talking to some of the community here at Entree Architect that there may be people listening right now, architects listening right now that may be struggling with ADHD and don't even know that's why you're struggling. And so this is going to be a very interesting conversation. So I, I suggest that you listen up and, uh, and let me um, throw it over to Aaron. Aaron, welcome to, uh, to join us here. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I, I so agree with what you said, Mark, um, because there's, there's a whole swath of people that are getting diagnosed with ADHD as adults. And, you know, the, the sources can be numerous. Sometimes when their kids get diagnosed, the pediatrician or psychologist or psychiatrist is then diagnosing the parents because there's a hereditary component Uh, or, you know, like some people hit some sort of rock bottom, like I did, and then they get diagnosed. But generally, um, until one of those intervening points, a lot of it just comes across, especially the inattentive ADHD side. And I know that you and I can differentiate between those two, so we can explain that in a minute, but the inattentive ADHD side just comes across as, you know, like lazy. It just comes across as I've got all these plans to work on or all these designs to do or all these things to get for my clients. And I'm just procrastinating on it. And, you know, everybody procrastinates. The difference with people with ADHD is that it just becomes this sort of chronic thing. And it's just this chronic underperformance relative to potential. And most of us never even get the idea that it could be ADHD because so much of the popular narrative around ADHD and the popular image is of six-year-old boys bouncing off the walls. And if right. we don't fit that stereotype, we just assume that we're lazy and don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and I'm not, no expert, so I, I certainly don't know, but, but I suspect that they were people that I grew up with. Right. And maybe even, some of my brothers, maybe even me, who knows, you know, 50 something years old, we weren't diagnosed with ADHD. It wasn't something that we were, that was even, I don't know if it was even a possibility, whether it was, whether it was something that, that could have been diagnosed. Um, but I know they weren't diagnosing them then. And so there are lots of people who are my age, uh, who, who just never may have had the opportunity to have been diagnosed and just struggled or dealt with what you're talking about with this laziness or the procrastination chronically and struggling with it and not knowing why uh, until maybe here's the reason. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, so I guess just to define terms, right. To be useful. Actually, before you do that, before you do that, I want to do that, but I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to miss out on your origin story. Yeah. Um, I actually jumped, jumped ahead and, and, uh, threw it back to you before I asked your origin story. And so I'm, so I wanted, I want to set the context a little bit, uh, and then we'll get into ADHD and what it is and how it is and all that. So, so share about your, your story, you know, when did you discover your passion for what you do today? Um, and maybe talk a little bit about or who or what inspired you to get to where you are today. Sure. So, um, I'll mention quickly where I am today, just cause my team and I didn't update it in the bio we sent you, uh, which is on me. <laughs> uh, so, but 
I'll, I'll give a quick overview. So right now, um, I run a six figure business. We, I did, I set up a training course in my first year, which pulled in $60,000. And I've really only been out of the fortune 500 corporate world for just over a year. Mm-hmm. And congratulations. Thank you. It's a, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a leap. Um, it was a leap that I never thought I'd be able to make, uh, because, I just thought it'd be too stressful to try to manage uh, the work involved with running a business when I felt like I could, you know, I was just treading water at my own job. I was a high performer, but I always knew I was just cutting corners and, you know, it was always a struggle, you know, stuff was always last minute. And um, so I sort of told myself I would never be an entrepreneur. And here's what got me over the edge uh, was before I get to the origin, because sorry, a little bit of tangent, right. But was, uh, I realized that by being an entrepreneur, I would get to do the things that I am great at and love to do and could delegate, pay people, hire, outsource, all the rest. And that sold me. And I said, that sounds like something I want to do. And it's been that and more. It's been awesome. So uh, sorry, did you want to say something on that, Mark, before I jump? No, that's a perfect setup. And and so let's, let's talk about how you got to that. Because I think there are a lot of architects that can, can can connect with that as well, right? There's lots of architects who are listening right now, working for somebody else. And all they dream about every day is starting their own firm. And they're afraid or there's other reasons why they don't do it. Um, and so I'd love to go there. Um, but I want to I know how you got where you are first, and then we'll go there. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so. I got here by quitting my, you know, multiple six-figure Fortune 500 cushy job. And, you know, I never thought that I would do that because I'd only really had a successful Fortune 500 career for about six years. So I'm 41 now and I got diagnosed with inattentive ADHD at 34. And so it really only been a six-year career and I'd been steadily moving up. And, you know, for the first time I was able to kind of, uh, realize some of the potential that, you know, people always said I had and I knew I had. So I performed well during those six years, but uh, which then put me in the position to finally set this up and, you know, jump ship. But in, but prior to that, kind of as you shared in my bio, I mean, it was a, uh, a sugar show to try to not use swear words. Like it was, it was a garbage <laughs> heap and, you know, Firstly, uh, high school and college, high school was okay because frankly, it was easy. I went to a public high school. I was a good test taker. If you could sort of deduce how to Mm -hmm. solve multiple choice. And if you, if you could memorize things, you know, the minute before you walked into a test, I had all these strategies. Plus I had really smart friends who motivated me and I had older sisters. So I had like all this support structure. Did you, Uh, did you, did you memorize well? Were you good at that? I memorized well, like short term like literally like cram before a test and then i would get in the test and i would literally flip it to the back page that was blank and write down everything that i had just crammed like it was like on a ticking time bomb like i was gonna lose it within a few minutes and then i would take the test after i basically made myself like an in-test cheat sheet yeah because you i mean you're an intelligent man right because you i mean you got into harvard right and so that's not an easy thing to do and so you must have having not known, right, you weren't diagnosed until 34. So you must have um, sort of built strategies and coping mechanisms and ways to get to where you need to go 
in order to get there, right? In order to get to Harvard, you had to come up with ways to, to be able to pass those tests and get things done. Um, and so talk about that a little bit about how you, how, you know, before you got to college, <laughs> you know, how did you get through high school and, and, you know, middle school and elementary school? How did that, how did that experience sort of shape who you are today? Yeah. So look, I think there's, I think there's three things that are really central to that, right? So what, what we undiagnosed ADHDers end up using is we use cleverness, like finding ways around things like effectively cramming stuff in and then just writing it all down at the start of a test. So like sort of like bringing in a cheat sheet. Um, I also had ways to like ask teachers. I asked other people who took good notes to let me borrow their notes to study, you know, so like, I guess you'd call that like human engineering. Uh, the second is panic or stress. And so um, panic or stress gets our nervous system, our brains to activate, and we can then suddenly follow through. Like we have these superpowers. Uh, obviously the downside is anyone who uses that as their primary, you know, source of motivation fuel is just that it's very draining to yeah. constantly have to wait until you're freaked out and then your brain will kick into gear to get stuff done. But I had to use that a lot. I mean, it was all last minute. Oh my God, this is due. Oh my goodness. The test is tomorrow morning. Yeah. You know, oh my goodness. I haven't started the essay and it's due tomorrow, you know, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I would be able to like, uh, do that. And then the third is environment, right? And I think that's where like the whole entre architect community and all the work that you guys do is so important is the people that we're around influence us more than we realize, right? That's why our parents care about who we're spending time with and don't want us to spend time with bad influences. When you can surround yourself with other people who are exhibiting the behaviors that you want to behavior or exhibit, uh, it gives you the ability to really step your behavior up a level. And so because I had, you know, really smart older sisters who had modeled the behaviors and, you know, Jewish pushy parents that wouldn't let me get bad grades, but also because I had a whole group of smart friends who mm -hmm. would then invite me to study with them or, you know, say, hey, why don't we go and work on our homework for an hour and then play basketball? And like just those little things, just they, they elevated my game uh, without any conscious intention on my part. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting. The reason I want to go there is because is because if there are people who are listening, right. And, and a lot of the, our listenership are in that age, right. 30 to 55, 60 years old. And so there are probably lots of people listening right now who are, who are listening to us and saying, Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> that's me. Right. And so I, that's why I wanted to go back to your childhood and sort of, uh, share a little bit about that because that that could you know sort of uh, uh open up some pathways for some of the the listeners who may have said well that's i did similar things to that you know that self-induced crisis in order to get something done uh is something that sounds familiar to some of us i'm sure so so you so you make it through elementary school middle school high school get into harvard harvard wasn't what you expected it to be well, so a few things happened. Yeah. One is of those three things, right? So the cleverness I still had, but the environment I lost, right? The, the, the friends who were pushing me and the mm -hmm. family that was keeping me on track, um, as well as more of the structure that you get in high school versus at college. And then the last one was the panic and the stress. I got to a point where I said, 
I don't want to live my life like that. Um, and so I really took my own foot off the gas. Um, but one of the reasons that most of us don't do that, if that's our primary fuel, is that our performance plummets when we don't rely on panic and stress to motivate us. Uh, and so I dropped out twice. Um, and really, you know, I, I graduated in the end, but it was really, uh, you know, through a lot of grace that I was able to pull that off. So, um, and also, you know, I didn't really pursue what I was really interested in, which is another challenge. Um, so I was trying to pursue what I thought I should pursue. Uh, so, you know, there were a number of challenges, but yeah, it was, it was very ugly. Um, and then, then I graduated and then things got great. Uh, you know, Harvard degree going out there in the working world. <laughs> Your ticket. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I, I failed out <laughs> of my first job after six months. Uh, and what did you, to what did you, my first what was what is your what was your degree? My degree was in computer science, uh, and my first job was actually in my first two jobs were actually first number of jobs were in real estate. Um, I was doing a real estate analyst, and I was doing land development, like water. So using the degree or drainage. not using the degree? I mean, using did what not you did not use the degree. No, never have done right. a computer science direct job in my life. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them. With features like the digital bills and a receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, AKA CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. 
Listen and subscribe right now at rcat.com slash podcast. That's rcat.com slash podcast, A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you work your way up into Fortune 500 companies, right? Is that what you said? Well, I mean, I pretty much bounced from failure to failure. uh, And then, then kind of at the, at the depth of depths of how many times can I possibly fail sort of went back and got a master's degree. Fortunately, I was in the position to do that. Um, And, you know, people that hit a career impasse, sometimes that's what they do is like, I'm going to go back to school um, and use that as a reboot of my career. And so for me, it had that desired effect. I was able to kind of come out of school fresh and use it to get some new jobs. Um, And so I really just got back to applying my cleverness and really finagled my way into a a job at a small consulting firm on a contract, a short-term contract. I think it was a month or two. Uh, And that firm was being purchased by Deloitte. And so I got basically swallowed up into Deloitte and then I just had to use like my bird dogging skills of, okay, you've got a month, you know, you've only got a month in your contract. You need to find another partner that wants to bring you onto their project before you leave. Cause once you're out the door, it's going to be harder to find a project and um, basically built up a consulting, you know, resume uh, and moved back to the States, continued my consulting career and you know, leverage that into a senior manager position at Motorola Solutions. Um, and uh, before I finally went off and did my own thing. Yeah. So when you were in those in those jobs, um, it sounds like it wasn't what you had hoped it was. Why? Why did you jump and go do your own thing? What was? Where was the motivation to do that? Yeah. Um, so a lot of it came into, I was coming up to kind of a milestone age. So I was looking ahead and my 40th birthday was like a year and a half away and it was new year's. Um, and I was doing these journaling exercises and I ran, I came across this question. Um, so this is a journaling exercise, uh, in the way of the seal by, you know, whatever Lieutenant commander, Mark divine or whatever ex Navy seal, and one of the questions was like, if you got a diagnosis from a doctor that you were going to die within a year, like what would you regret not having done? And the question, I still get goosebumps even just saying it. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, man. Uh, and I just, and like really all that came out was this. I was going to regret not having shared what I'd learned. Like basically that that I had done so much training. I'd I'd been a consumer of so much knowledge and support and everything, but I hadn't given it out to the world in any form, right? And so for me, that was, you know, through some of the things that I share on ADHD and productivity and now growing businesses and training courses, but that general desire to like be able to to express myself and my gifts and, you know, not just have a, just been a hoarder or a consumer of support and knowledge was just the thing that I regretted more than anything. Do you see ADHD as being um, something now that you are successful and building this company that you've started? Um, do you see it as something that has helped you succeed? Or do you think 
that it's still something that you struggle with. You've just learned how to, how to deal with it. Yeah. I have a really hard time with this question because intellectually, I know that I need, that I need to make peace with it, forgive it, see it as a source of success, not as something that holds me back. I'm just, I know I should be there, Mark. I'm just not there yet. Like spiritually or intellectually for me, it is uh, something that I continually manage. It's something that very much uh, does stand in the way for me. And, you know, the primary thing for me, the biggest difference that I've been able to really come out with is that, you know, I used to think that there was something wrong with me. And now I no longer think that per se. I think that there's just something wrong with my systems and that as long as I change and tweak my systems to work better with my brain, to look different than what a lot of normal neurotypical systems might look like. Uh, but that permission to have what works for my brain look different, um, have my work process look different uh, is really, you know, that self-forgiveness has been a big shift for me. Is it easier to achieve the success that you're looking for when it's something that you have decided is your calling? Is it that, that it's something that it's yours and you're building and you're sharing with others rather than working for somebody else? And yeah, there's some success there and you get acknowledged for that success. Is being on your own, doing your own thing, a big piece of that success? Uh, it's huge. And actually, um, one of the things that I discovered when I interviewed, uh, 15 ADHD, I would really call them entrepreneurs, like people that are in jobs and really want to work for themselves. And what I noticed was this, so many of us, uh, are told to are trained in business to do basically like outside in planning. Right. You look at the TAM, the total addressable market, and you look at the competitors, and you do this and you figure out where you can build a product that's going to work with the right pricing and the right, you know. And for a lot of people, that works. And uh, you know, it, it makes sense. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not a good way. But what I found for myself and with a lot of ADHDers is that uh more so than market fit, for us to be successful in business, we need me fit first. Me fit trumps market fit. And so I really advocate an inside out approach to building a business, which is what what's the kind of work that I would do for fun that I do on weekends. I do it at night. You know, I I would do it. Uh, Seth Godin says, like, little kids don't make art to get paid. They make art to make art. And like, if <laughs> yeah, you have the mentality that right now you're talking to thousands of architects who are shaking their head right now because architects, that's who an architect is typically. Now, architects are those people who are doing what they're doing because they love the art of architecture and they love changing the world and making the world better. It's not necessarily primarily to make a, you know, to make a living and to make money. And, you know, it's about the art for many of them. Right. And when you can find, when you can find those things, right, that you enjoy doing that you would do for the sake of doing them, not for an end that they're going to serve it's such a competitive advantage because, you know, when you're, what you're doing that it seems like work to someone else is play to you, you, you just, you, you're going to beat them in business, you know, 10 times out of 10. And so 
Uh, I do think really toning in on my calling, but what I would say is one, one distinction that I think a lot of people get wrong is they think of a calling or a passion as topic driven, right? So it's, I want to work on this type of building, or I want to work on the, and what I've found, at least in the clients I've worked with and, and myself is that it's, it's much better to think of a calling as task driven or, uh, really process-driven. So what's the distinction there? There's a type of work that your brain likes to do uh, in, say, if you're trying to do 19th century, I don't know, I'm trying to make stuff up, uh, Japanese design. If those are the types of buildings you like, right? And I apologize for that completely uh, That's all right. mashed, mashed thing. But, you know, it's less about that in particular, but maybe that type of design forces you to do a certain type of problem solving in your brain or a certain type of art that you could actually apply even if the topic changed. And, you know, for me, like I just I love uh, learning about certain topics like psychology, business, marketing, because they kind of are all the same thing. Uh, there's certain topics I love to learn about that I do for fun on the weekends. And whenever I'm learning about them, I'm always sitting there. And this is possibly where the ADHD superpower comes in. I'm always sitting there thinking, gosh, they just, there's so much wasted space in this book or this thing. I could distill this down to the three things that if you just did these, your whole, you would get everything you need to know you know, and not waste your time reading a 250 page book. So that idea of one learning and two uh, streamlining, those are the two kind of tasks that I just, my brain, it just finds as candy. My entire business is based around, I get to learn, I get to sit at coffee shops, I get to sit by the fire, read for fun. And then I get to cut out all the fat and say, okay, here's how you could do this, which is now build an online course. Uh, with none of the wasted effort. Here is the straight line like stuff. And so I still use the process, even though the topics of what I'm working on have changed in my business. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. Explain, explain to us what you do today. So you worked with as a consultant for fortune 500 companies and you jumped and did your own thing. And so, and, that, and you talked to you a little bit about it with training and courses and that kind of thing. Get into that a little bit, explain what you do. Yeah. Today. So uh, in the Fortune 500 world, I was doing what's called change management. Um, so it's basically like, how do we get, you know, we're putting in a big software change. How do we get all the employees aware of it and change? How do we make sure everyone's on board with it? So there's an element of business and psychology there. Uh, and then, you know, when I had this journaling kind of epiphany, um, you know, leading up to my 40th birthday, um, I then started sharing some of what I'd learned about productivity and ADHD online, and it grew into, uh, 30,000 followers online, at which point I gave notice at my job. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to make money with this, but I knew that an audience is monetizable. Um, and I said, okay, there's people that resonate with my message. So I gave notice. And then uh, really where I started was I built a online course and I started doing one-on-one -on -one coaching just to pay the bills. And what I really found was that I had a knack at 
taking, um, helping people who knew what they wanted to do, but just couldn't get themselves to do it. And so I built this uh, program called the Productivity Transformation Academy. It's like an eight week boot camp where people go from like procrastination to basically daily productivity on their number one goal. And um, so I built that. And then one of the things that I discovered in doing that partially ADHD get bored easily was that I really loved working with the entrepreneurs. And a lot of people were asking me, how did you set up a group program? You know, like, yeah, one-on-one coaching, not scalable. How did you do this group program? How did you make this whole thing work? And um, I loved helping them. And so now I've been shifting the focus of my business to help other people uh, jump ship from their corporate jobs to be able, or just run it as a side hustle to be able to uh, build training courses that monetize their experience and expertise um, in a way that they can do what I did, which is get to contribute some of what they've learned and not just hoard information for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you both build courses and you have, um, training, you do coaching as well. Yep. Yeah. So, so architects who are listening, who are working with somebody else and has that, that goal and that desire to start their own firm, that's somebody that you might be interested in talking to. Yeah. I mean, I think my specialty, right? Like, I mean, obviously Entre Architects got much more of the specialty around the nuts and bolts of starting a small to mid-sized architecture firm. Uh, but if there's other things, right, some of the social media stuff, right, how I built up to the 100,000 followers, um, some of the just how do you get yourself to get stuff done, right? You know, you want to do all these things. You got your list of the perfect plan of how to build your small firm, how do you actually do that? Especially when you're working full-time and you have a spouse and kids and, you know, you'd like to relax. So those are the types of strategies and things. Um, or you just want to build one of these online courses that I really specialize in. Yeah. Yeah. So your website is hiddenadhd.com, right? Hiddenadhd.com. So people can go there and check it out. Um, whether you have ADHD or not, this is a, a resource for you to sort of get things done. Right. And so, uh, I, I, uh, I've been there. Looks great. I'm looking forward to, uh, my listeners going over there and checking it out as well. Um, Aaron, before we wrap things up here, I wanted to ask you, uh, the final question. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mentioned of those three things I mentioned environment, and, you know, the way that I phrase environment when I talk about productivity is people power. Uh, but I would say get around other people who are doing cool stuff and inspiring you. Uh, so the Entree Architect world, um, I've got some communities as well. There are other communities, but really, if you can upgrade the people that you're around and the the inputs that are coming into your head, um, it's really just going to take you to another level in what I call willpower-free change. It just sort of happens automatically. Yeah. Um, one question that I had before we wrap up, um, and it just your answer to that just sort of popped, popped the question back into my head. Along the way, when you um, started focusing on courses and building online businesses, the things that you're doing now, um, were there any specific mentors or guides online or in person that sort of helped you uh, understand how to build what you built? Because I had lots of those people in my life. When I started Entree Architect, I was just wondering who 
may have been some of the the mentors or guides that you had along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so one of the big ones uh, was Danny Eaney. Uh, so, uh, you know, his company Miracy, uh, I actually hired them before I had any income in my business. I paid them $20,000 for a year of business coaching. Um, so, you know, I walk, I walk my talk, I take my own advice. I put myself in environments and get myself around, uh, yeah. people who can help. And, um, yeah, so that, that was someone that I've hired. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. His name is Aaron Croft. Again, the website hidden ADHD.com. We'll have that link on the show notes. Um, Aaron, do you have any, any other things you want to share or any, any actually maybe any of the, the courses that you have might be of interest to our community? I mean, I think, I think if they go to the website, they'll be able to see, you know, I've got lots of different free downloads, but one on there that I really like is the sort of how to know, how to know your online course will succeed before you do any work on it. So it's basically this five-step uh, method that I summarize in the acronym tarot, like tarot cards. Uh, but, you know, I think the only other thing that, that I'd like to share, um, yeah. or really just to reemphasize, and you probably can relate to this is that, you know, if you, the, the, the struggles worth it to get yourself to a position where you can be more aligned with who you are and what you're putting out. Like if you've got that internal fire, that internal, you know, whether it's you have the firm and you're debating whether to delegate stuff, right? Because one of the challenges in business is sometimes you need to spend money before you make it. And so you know, you're, de you're de debating, do I delegate this and hire someone or bring in a contractor, outsource this? You know, I could just do it myself, but there's the work that you really are passionate about and you're great at and you want to be doing, or you're working at your company and you're, you know, and you really want to have your own thing. It's just the more you move on that continuum to, you know, the zone of excellence, zone of genius, whatever you want to call it, unique ability, Dan Sullivan calls it uh, the, you know, strategic coach founder. Um, you know, the more you move along that continuum to do that, just the, the richer your life becomes and it's worth the journey to, uh, listen to that calling inside of you and to pursue it. Yeah. Aaron, thank you for coming by here and, and, uh, and sharing your knowledge. I, I thank you for, um, making that decision, right. To, to share what you know, uh, and to, um, you know, you said that you, you gathered all this information and you read all these books and you had all this knowledge, but you weren't sharing it. And that, that epiphany sort of opened your mind and said, I need to share this with the world. So thank you for making that decision to share this with the world. Uh, I think there are people who, who have ADHD and don't know it um, and are struggling every day with what they're doing and don't know why. And so by the work that you're doing, you being on this show, may have helped a bunch of people recognize that maybe this is something I should look into. So I appreciate you for coming by, sharing your knowledge, and for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. It was an absolute pleasure. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast, and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it share write a review i'd love it and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown that's how entree architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you thank you to our sponsors rcat and freshbooks for their support of this episode i ask you to support them because they support us 
And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entre Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entre Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entre Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.